right, good morning. Uh, Dan and Adam were at a conference this week, as Adam mentioned, so they asked me a few weeks ago if I'd be interested in preaching, uh, so here I am. Um, if this is your first time at Redeemer, I would encourage you to come back at least one more time. This is not the norm, uh, so just extend grace to me this morning, and uh, I pray that I would preach boldly from God's Word. So before we get into the meat of the text this morning, I wanted to pause, um, the meat being God's promises, that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, But I wanted to pause and address the ceremonies that take place in verses 21 to 24. So I'll go ahead and read those again. And we'll go back a verse actually to 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Luke here is trying to highlight for us something that he hits on throughout his book and that we've already seen. That Christ was obedient to every aspect of the law. We saw this last week in verse 21, which we just reread about his circumcision. And here we read about him being presented to the Lord as uh, the firstborn. And there are two things that I'd like to highlight from this text regarding Christ's obedience to the law. The first one, that Christ was not only sinless, but he also fulfilled the law in every way. This is imperative for us to understand. If Christ did not perfectly obey the law, then there is no forgiveness of sins. Later in Luke 24, Christ proclaims, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So why must they be fulfilled? He answers in the text, Luke 24, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to his name, I'm sorry, in his name to all the nations. So again, there is no forgiveness of sins without a proper and perfect sacrifice. Christ is the perfect and spotless lamb as we sang today, perfectly obedient to every aspect of the law. The second point I'd like to make from these ceremonies taking place is to highlight how we are to worship God. And I ask this question to you and to myself this morning. Who was or ever has been more entitled to worship God as they saw fit than his own son? If anybody had a right to worship God in the way that they thought best, it was certainly Jesus. Yet Christ obeys God's law to the exact letter and with an upright spirit. So concluding from that, Who are we to question God's way of worship, to think that we know what he wants or what he allows? Many today think that worship is what you want it to be. They feel constrained by what scripture says and think that it is open for vague interpretation. I have some common examples of this. First one, graven images that we think might heighten our worship through veneration. Punishing ourselves because we think that God requires physical sacrifice in this way looking for an experience and to feel God's presence in ways that aren't based in truth, performing during worship to impress God and others instead of worshiping in humility, thinking that God will really hear our prayers if we can speak in tongues. And um, I'm not going to name any names, but the famous wife of a megachurch pastor, uh, quote, worship is really about us, amen? Don't say amen. Um, Is worship really about us? All of these examples go beyond the bounds of worship placed in Scripture. 
because our pride draws us away from the common means of grace provided for us. If these means satisfied Christ in his perfect obedience, then surely they are enough for us. So as Luke constantly draws our minds to Christ and his perfect obedience, his fulfillment of the law recognized that we should be satisfied in these means as well. We have no need to go beyond Scripture. Moving forward in the text, we're going to look at some of the most rich promises God makes to us, his people. So I thought I would start by making a distinction regarding the promises of God. We make promises nearly every day, sometimes without even thinking about it. We sign a check promising that we're good for the money. We sign a lease or a mortgage promising that we'll pay month to month. Uh, Those of us who are teachers sign contracts that state a number of things that we will uphold and do as teachers. We may click going on Facebook events without actually showing up. We promise our spouse or kid that we'll be at soccer practice at 5.30 to to pick them up and so so on and so forth, examples like that. Uh, Yet we can be instinctively suspicious of people and their motives, rightly so. Some people are more trustworthy than others. Uh, But even the most trustworthy of people do not compare to God and certainly can break their word. When we make a promise, this is much different than the promises of God. God has perfect foresight and can make promises knowing that they will in fact be delivered. We cannot compare to God, oh, I'm sorry, we can, well, that's true. We cannot compare God to ourselves, and we certainly cannot compare our promises to his. God alone is completely trustworthy and faithful, and by his very nature, he cannot go back on what he promises. So as we read some of these promises this morning, I trust that you would rest in the fact that God will deliver them. To make sure that this morning's sermon gets full credit, we have three points I'm going to make here uh, regarding God's promises. Luke tells the story of Simeon in such a way as to remind the reader that, one, God made a promise to mercifully make a way of redemption for sinners. That promise was, two, revealed by the Holy Spirit to certain men and women approaching the time of Jesus' birth. And it was, three, ultimately delivered in the birth of Christ. So point one, promise made. We're going to read verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Here we see that God makes real and objective promises. A promise was made to all of God's people, and Simeon faithfully waited for the consolation of Israel. Yet God also makes a special personal promise to Simeon that is unique in time to him only. So if you feel that God has told you that you are going to see the second coming of Christ before your death. We would question that. This is unique to Simeon, so we don't hold to this unique promise, but we certainly hold to the consolation of his people. We see here that it is by faith that Simeon embraced God's promise that he will come to rescue and comfort his people. A promise that was made back in the Garden of Eden and given in more detail through Isaiah. The object of Simeon's faith was the coming Christ. He recognizes that there is only one who could console Israel, the great counselor, the Messiah. The prophet Isaiah records in chapter 40 um, that God's promise of salvation to Israel uh, is the following. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her her iniquity is pardoned. Later he says, sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. 
Notice that Simeon is resting in Christ alone for salvation. And I capitalized alone. So you should as well if you're writing it down. In verse 30, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. Even as a righteous and devout man, as the text describes Simeon, he does not place hope in his performance before the Lord. There is no other salvation, and there is no other way to be made right before God apart from Christ alone. All caps. We lay hold of God's promise today in the same way, by faith alone, in Christ alone. It's imperative to understand this. Um, this past Friday, I actually, uh, I, if you don't know, I work at Central Catholic High School down in Oakland. And in the teacher's lounge, I sit next to uh, the school priest. And he and I were discussing some theological topics. And it came up in conversation that I would be preaching this Sunday. And so he asked if he could uh, see what I was preaching on. So I shared my sermon notes with him. And he read through the whole thing. And then he said with a smile on his face, Oh, unity. We, I could preach this sermon myself. And I said, That's great. Even in the part on graven images? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. The only thing is I might not capitalize the word alone, which I think speaks to the importance of it being capitalized. Because many of us might say Christ alone, but what we really mean is Christ and something. We need Christ, yes, 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 but you also need ABC. So put alone in all caps if you're taking notes. Similar to the passages we have read in Luke so far, We see that God reveals his promise in the same way. Let's read verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So point two is promise delivered. Nope, revealed. Three is delivered. Point two is promise revealed. To Simeon, the promise for salvation was very real. And now this promise was being revealed to him. In verse 25, it says that the Spirit was upon him. And by that very Spirit, Simeon is trusting in the promises of God, that he would see Christ before his death, and that this would bring about the consolation of God's people. We can see from the examples in Luke that he's given us so far, and from other texts in Scripture, that without the work of the Spirit, and I underlined and bolded this, without knowledge of God's Word, There is no hope to be found or promises to rest in. So big therefore, we cannot expect to find peace in this life. We cannot expect to have wisdom in making decisions. We cannot expect to have hope in this life or in the future without knowing God's word. Yet Simeon was knowledgeable in God's promise. Luke shows us, again, that when the Holy Spirit of God is upon an individual... They are able to understand the account we've seen so far in Luke, only two chapters in, of the Holy Spirit coming upon an individual to speak forth God's word in his promises. Uh, We've seen Elizabeth, Mary, and Zechariah, and now here we see Simeon. So finally, I want to bring attention to what happens uh, next, starting with verse 26. So I'm going to read 26 through 32. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. 
So that brings us to point three, deliver your salvation. Simeon now recognizes that God's unique promise to him and the general promise to God's people has been delivered. God himself has come to mercifully rescue and deliver sinners, just as he promised thousands of years prior. Today, we can rest in the delivered promise just as securely as Simeon, who held the physical Christ in his arms. God's word is true, and his promises are true. Now we hope for the return of our Lord, for the coming of his eternal kingdom. Know that God will deliver his promises and redeem the earth. We wait just like Simeon did for our Messiah, expectant that God will deliver, and our faith resting in the promises of God. His promise for salvation is as real and true today as it was for Simeon. So I'd like to end by listing for you a small list of God's promises from his word. As we saw today, it is important to know scripture, and through the spirit of our Lord, he gives us faith to trust in it and each of the promises found within. If you are not yet resting in Christ's work alone for your salvation, and you have not repented of your sin, then let these promises show you the riches of salvation in our merciful Father. For my brothers and sisters in Christ, know that each of these promises are definitive truths, and rest in the one who has and is fulfilling them. The first one comes from John 16. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. From 1 Peter 4. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. From the book of Romans, chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Finally, from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I'm sure the nursery workers appreciate that I am preaching today, because I am done. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for the work that you've done through your spirit.